The Athletic. Instead of taking up that gym membership that you wouldn't use even if the gyms were open, how's about subscribing to The Athletic for just £4 a month as a New Year's resolution? You'll get unrivaled football coverage with analysis and in-depth features from the very best writers around, exclusive Q&As with Athletic staff and ad-free versions of all of The Athletic's podcasts, including this one. Find out more and sign up today at theathletic.com slash totally. Totally Football Show. Today, what a midweek round. Brighton at Liverpool, the unlikeliest seagull triumph since under siege, while at Old Trafford, nine men, nine goals and nine nick-knock einmal for Ralph Hasenhutl. Our thoughts on those games, on Jesse Lingard and the other midweek stories. Plus, AVB says no mercy to Marseille, Wimbledon v Emma Hayes and a look ahead to this weekend's fixtures in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello there, listener. It's Thursday the 4th of February. Many thanks for choosing Totally for all your heavily weighted and favour other people's teams football roundup. Uh, here to talk about a midweek that will live long in the annals, I think. We've got uh, Duncan Alexander of Opta. Hello, Duncan. Hello, James. Uh, also with us, Rory Smith of the Rolexating NY Times. Hello to you, Rory. And Faye Carruthers. Faye, I've got to say, your workplace is in the kitchen. Oh, God, don't you start. I've had enough of that this week, no, thanks. literally, li- your workplace... <laughs> Listener, she's got a section of the kitchen which is she's built into an incredible studio. Um, sorry, that was me being... <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Well, listen, the exciting news is that Faye's come fresh from a video call with Mikel Arteta, which no doubt will be full of uh, exciting detail. We'll, we'll come on to that later on. Of course, Arsenal beaten in slightly controversial circumstances midweek at Molyneux. What a midweek in general, though. What, what was the biggest shock, do you think? Brighton's win at Anfield, Saints shipping nine again, Jay Lings with his extraordinary debut for West Ham. I think Brighton at Anfield probably qualifies as a surprise more than a shock, as, um, as the BT commentator said last night. It's not, not quite that. I think Southampton conceding nine again was genuinely breathtaking that that I always think there's a sort of a common decency thing that teams should stop at like five or six but for, you, you wonder whether were United trying to get nine specifically they, they, they wanted were, yeah. to score nine yeah the Solskjaer and Harry Maguire were encouraging them to get more and more I mean I think we saw it with the Leicester 9-0 against Southampton. Johnny Evans, I think, was one of the few Leicester players that realised that the record was 9-0 and wanted to get to 10. Ironically, he then missed a kind of 0.9 xG chance on the goal line. So, uh, But it is funny how it could have been 8, it could have been 10, but once again, the 9 seems to be like a kind of magnetic scoreline that teams can reach. Yeah, there is, a, I mean, a genuine point to them trying to get more goals, and that's the goal difference, no? especially after their own 6-1 defeat against Spurs. They'll have done wonders for the GD with this game. Uh, before we get on to that extraordinary match at Old Trafford and the other midweek news, let's just quickly check on the scores. Tuesday, as mentioned, 9-0 for United over nine-man Saints. Dan Spiller asked, was that the first time where the men on the pitch number equaled goals conceded. Interesting question. Arsenal also down to nine men in their 2-1 defeat at where Molyneux. Wolves picking up their, their first win in 11. Uh, Newcastle lost 2-1 at home to Palace. The Graham Jones effect perhaps already over. And Sheffield United beat the Baggies by the same 2-1 scoreline to move just a point behind them. Wednesday, five matches, uniquely, all were away victories. West Ham winning 3-1 at Villa, 2-0 for Man City at Burnley. Leicester City with the same scoreline at Fulham. Everton winning 2-1 at Leeds. And Brighton triumphing 1-0 at Anfield. Third win in four for Graham Potter's side. As for Liverpool... After 68 home league games without defeat, they've now lost two in a row against Burnley and the Seagulls, and their next visitor there are Man City. Woof. Still to come, of course, Thursday, Spurs against Chelsea. Anyway, loads to talk about. Let's begin at Old Trafford. Greenwood's ball, Fernandez with the header. It's nine. It's Daniel James in the final few seconds. And Manchester United leads Southampton 9-0. Wow, just when people had stopped talking about the 9-0 against Leicester, Faye. Yeah, I mean, it, it's not a good look for Ralph Hasenhutl, is it, to have two 9-0s on, on his CV for sure. And anybody who's not 
perhaps watched Southampton's performances uh, this season would immediately, as my dad did to me, say, oh, surely he's got to go, hasn't he? Two nine nils. It's like, well, you haven't seen the rest of the season, actually. Um, And also the context of it. He had nine first team players out. He was playing an academy side. He lost... Uh, one player after, what, 79 seconds, uh, which I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll get to that challenge uh, shortly. I, I think, you know, you have to look at the context of it. From a Southampton point of view, really disappointing. I know they've not been in the greatest uh, form of late, but, you know, performances this season ha- have been excellent and they've been well up there. I mean, they're, t- they're 12th now, but really when you look at, you know, the, the numbers, they're not, they're not that far out of it if they can turn things around again. Um, I, I think... I, what was it? One win in eight or nine games, or something like that. And and it did take them last time they were beaten by Leicester nine nil, a little bit of a while to to get back round. Maybe a couple of games. I think they'll bounce back a bit quicker uh, this time round. But you've got to give the credit to Manchester United for being so ruthless, regardless wow. of who they were playing against. Absolutely, as you said, it all started just seventy nine seconds in when nineteen year old Alexander Yankovic, literally weird Al Yankovic, got sent off in his first Premier League start for that. A hefty challenge on Scott McTominay. And from there, it was all downhill for Saints. Later, Jan Bednarek got uh, a red card for being quite close to Anthony Martial. But loads of goals had happened by then. United had seven different goal scorers, did wonders for their goal difference. Duncan, nobody in the Premier League has ever lost by a worse scoreline than 9-0. Saints have now done it in successive seasons. The only other 9-0 in Premier League history belongs to United. Yeah, they beat Ipswich 9-0 in, in 95. I actually looked at the, the specifically 9-0s in, in top flight history. There were there were six in the 1890s, which is, sorry, that's just not football. Um, there's one in, one in the 1950s, one in the 80s, which was the Liverpool Palace one, uh, one in the 90s, and then Southampton twice in the space of 466 days. So. When did we last get a double-digit... Uh, that was the infamous Boxing Day 1963 when Fulham uh, beat Ipswich 10-1. In fact, Ipswich let in nine or more twice that season. So they might be now pleased that Southampton have you know, taken their 9-0 crown definitively, but they still remain the last top flight team to, to let in nine or more twice in the same season. So. All right. Faye, you mentioned the number of players who were missing for Saints. And of course, that problem is going to be exacerbated in their next game away at Newcastle by the uh, red cards they've picked up. Are there any serious conclusions we can draw from a game like this, 11 against 9? Paul Scholes is my hero, for example, uh, saying that this demonstrates how volatile this season has been. Man United equaling their worst ever Premier League result, the 6-1 against Spurs, and also their best ever uh, Premier League result against Saints in a matter of months. It's been a crazy season. Um, I've spoken to a couple of managers about it, including David Moyes earlier in the week, with the the fact that anybody could get in the top four. Um, It's not one of those seasons that looks obvious. It it could be a season where Leicester go on and and win uh, the title, which everybody, you know, said would never happen again well it could do actually and and why wouldn't it under Brendan Rodgers in particular it does look like it's it's Manchester City's to lose for sure they're the dominant side and we've got a game in hand over Manchester United but I, I love this season as a neutral because obviously my, my team's in the in the championship as being a Luton fan so for me the Premier League being this competitive I, I, I love it because it had started to get a bit dull. I wonder whether it might not End up as quite, quite end up quite as competitive as it looks at the moment. I don't want to disappoint Faye, but I can kind of see City walking away with it at this stage because for all that United United's big test was was what happened after the defeat to Sheffield United and the draw at Arsenal was they needed to beat Southampton and obviously, as Faye said, the, the initial boost of Southampton missing so many first team players and then for Southampton to go down to ten men effectively as soon as the game starts. That that's exactly what United needed. It's you, seems a bit harsh to call it lucky. It's not lucky. It's it's just the circumstances they found themselves in. But they and they took advantage. That has to be to their credit. But you still think you still look at United and think they probably have more more dropped points in them than than, than City who, who haven't conceded a goal since the Peasants' Revolt do. So you t- I can see City kind of walking away with it. Relegation looks like it's roughly just about done because of Brighton's sudden upturn in form. The the top four is the last is the last kind of bastion of, of drama, I think. Let's, I'm not so sure, Rory. It's not so long ago you know, that City were down in 13th and Arsenal were going to get relegated and all that. I mean, you might be right, but but let's see. This season, more than any other, 
with 17, 18 games to go. A lot of football to be played. This match, though, here, I mean, it, the, the circumstances went very much in United's favour. But against the Saints side that knows how to defend, that pretty much will have withdrawn to, uh, bust out the terminology, a low block in this game, United do deserve some credit for, for, for piling on them and actually breaking them down and, and racking up the goals. Yeah, I mean, Southampton, are, they remind me of the first Death Star in that they're a very well-constructed machine, but they've got a, a f- one fault that if you can get to it, it will all explode and, and go badly wrong. Um, but, you know, I think Southampton are a, a good example of how this season, I think injuries and fatigue are playing such a massive point. You know, Liverpool's tail, tailing off is because of all their injuries, obviously. City, the reason City is so consistent at the moment is because they've suddenly got three really good central defenders that are, you know, are available all the time. So they've managed to build this solid base. Um, and weirdly for Southampton, and I don't think this has ever happened in football history, but two 9-0 defeats in the space of a, just over a year has probably strengthened their manager's position because he can say, look, we're actually a good team, but you know, the squad isn't strong enough. If you want me to stay, then you need to back me in the transfer market. And because there's, there's not, there's more than a few teams that would happily take Ralph Hasenhutl now, which normally well, would not be the well, case. Well, Manchester United, he was linked with that job, wasn't he, for a while, which is quite yeah. ironic. So again, this is a very strange season and all these things just kind of uh, illustrate that. Is the real thermal exhaust port for Saints um, referee Mike Dean and indeed previously Lee Mason, the two officials who Saints have now officially requested they don't get in the near future after they'd been involved in contentious incidents in Saints' recent games? Spuds in Water asks, Southampton asking for certain referees to no longer officiate their games. Isn't that exactly what Juve were relegated for as part of Calciopoli? The only difference, says Spuds in Water, is that Saints did it publicly in Juve in a clandestine manner. What action should Premier League take? All right, well, so first off, I think I'm right in saying that clubs have always done this, no? Sir Alex always used to be on the line to Keith Hackett. Yeah, there's there's a mechanism that exists that allows teams to do this. And whether you think it should or not is kind of immaterial, that they're allowed to do this. And I think it's relatively long-standing and fairly standard practice that if... And to an extent, it, it makes sense. If there's been a, a referee who, who makes a, a major mistake against one team or, or some sort of, I, I don't know, just, I guess gross error of judgment or something, that team might say, look, for it, in, in, it's in everybody's interest that you know, the next few weeks they don't referee us. I'm not sure I'd go along with that particularly. I quite like that. What was it they used to do the kind of anonymous? Was it in Italy they used to do the anonymous? It was not hmm. 1984-85, wasn't it, in Italy, where they suddenly said, right, we're going to anonymised referees and then lo and behold um, Verona went and won the title yeah. and everyone's yeah. like this doesn't work <laughs> well, they go back they've tried so, that in, in England as well by making sure that all of the referees are called Mike but the, <laughs> the or Kevin don't forget or the Kevin Kevins. and they're all from Northampton everyone's from Northampton yeah. just interchangeable people from, from Northampton called Mike <laughs> or Kevin <laughs> I That's quite like that, but but there's, there's, what Southampton has, have done is is probably a little bit petty. It's almost certainly quite pointless, but it's it's perfectly legal. It's not the same as Calciopoli. Mm. I mean, the other yeah, Calciopoli, Juve ran a covert network, decided not only which referees they would get, but also which referees their rivals would get. They would prime officials to soften up their uh, future opponents by getting them. Uh, loads of suspensions for their key players. They also maintained that uh, a pretty comprehensive network of influence. Um, with, I don't know, agents, managers and journalists, which meant that nobody wanted to kind of cross them in any way. Plus, they, they locked referees in toilets, which, as yet, Saints haven't done. Also, wasn't it all done on, v- on multiple SIM cards as well, which yeah. I don't think you need to do anymore. You can, you know, switch around. I don't know, easy. Duncan. I don't know. Well, all right, obviously. so uh, anyway, there you go. So Saints have reacted... <laughs> Duncan and all his burner phones. <laughs> yeah, Saints- just- just Saints, Saints have, re, uh, have reacted in that fashion. How will they react on the pitch when they make the trip uh, this weekend? Uh, Sanz, Jankovic and Bednarek and probably a load of other players to St. James's to take on a Newcastle side who got beaten by Palace midweek but still look lively. As for Man United, they'll be hosting Everton who don't have a great record against United but are, and maybe this is a symptom of this kind of incredibly... Uh, flexible season, currently knocking on the door of the top four again. Uh, this after their 2-1 win at Leeds. How, how close are they to the top four, Faye? They are... Um, two oh, points. Just, no, four points with two games in hand from Liverpool. Wow. 
Um, and they've also got a great away record, Everton, as well. That They're playing much better away from home than they are at Goodison. And Carlo Ancelotti has talked about that quite a lot. So I'm quite looking forward to this one. I was disappointed uh, with Everton the other week, as was Carlo Ancelotti saying his players hadn't turned up against Newcastle for that defeat. But they certainly looked uh, a better uh, a better team on on Wednesday and Dominic Cavett-Lewin getting back on the score sheet having not scored in seven games is it, going to be key for them if he can get a run of form uh, back in I think that, I think they might challenge United Yeah, this came without Hammers Rodriguez as well Sigurdsson uh, stepping into the, that position and also scoring the first goal They're, they're a great example of this season Everton I think they, they seem to have had about three cycles of crest and fall they've, they've had spells where they were well, they start, started the season brilliantly, then they, they tailed off completely, then they came back, then they tailed off again, then they came back, then the Newcastle defeat suggested they, they were tailing off again. And against Leeds, they were, they were excellent, especially in the first half. Leeds, it was actually a really good game. Leeds didn't play badly by any stretch of the imagination, a little bit profligate. But Everton rode it out, they defended really well, they, they didn't really allow Leeds to lay siege to their goal at any point, they had a threat on the counter-attack. They're a good team, they're just like everybody, effectively, apart from maybe City... They're just a bit inconsistent. So you can't be 100% sure who's going to turn up. And that, as Duncan says, is, be- is because the defining factors this season for pretty much everybody are injuries and fatigue. The, that Leeds-Everton game was brilliant. And I think it, it kind of suffered a little bit from being in that mysterious mid-slot in between all the other games. But um, it was end-to-end. I mean, the only thing that didn't perform that well in the game was the pitch they'd signed from, uh, from Tottenham. So Mourinho's influence, even on games 200 miles away, is... Uh, is quite dominant. But Sorry, I missed that. How did they sign the pitch from Tottenham? They bought a new pitch um, and they got it from Tottenham's training. Or You know how Tottenham's pitch can slide in and out of the new stadium? Yeah. So mm-hmm. they grow pitches away from Tottenham. I'm not sure where, maybe Kent or more likely Essex. They have those big warehouses in East London that are full of growing grass. Well, is it that? Kent is the Garden of England, isn't it? So that would be the obvious place. Yeah, but it's the wrong side of London. I don't think you could drive in a pitch through the middle of London would be tricky, I imagine. Mm. Hmm. But, anyway, yeah. but anyway, Leeds bought it, and I don't. I'm not. I'm no gardening or pitch expert, but the, the, a lot of pl- the players were losing their footing in the first half. So yeah, but other than that, it was a really good game. There's been um. This is a really really niche point, and to an, I'll single out Leeds and Manchester City because of the two that I've noticed, and it's a bit harsh as the weather in the north has been abysmal for the last month or so, and the ground staff will be really struggling. But I've seen worse pitches this season, at Ellen Road and the Etihad in particular, than I have seen in the Premier League for years. There was one There was one Leeds game, I think it was the Burnley game, or possibly Brighton, where the pitch was almost had those brown bits in the doll mouth that you used to get every winter. And that actually is quite a good sign of what the season this season is like, because even if, if even the pitches are struggling, then you can kind of imagine that's how relentless it is. Players' psyches are like those pitches, only with brains, right? Or we'll be talking about one of the prime examples of that, perhaps, at least according to their manager, Jurgen Klopp. Liverpool, next. It's the big one. Liverpool v Man City this weekend. And we're hoping it won't be like the other big six ball fest we've had so far this season. Like that not-at-all-thrilling nil-nil between Arsenal and Man United last weekend. Or Liverpool nil, Man United nil at Anfield. Or when Spurs and Chelsea met and scored a total of no goals. Well, at Paddy Power, we're hoping for a bit more action this time round, so we're giving away a risk-free £5 bet builder on Liverpool v Man City. Paddy Power! Pretty much online bets only. Minimum two legs. Max cash refund £5. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. Be gamble aware. Dot all. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Bill Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Too Shy by Kachigoku, which was number one in February 1983, the last time Brighton won at Anfield. Wednesday, they did it again. What's number one now? Rory. I have no idea. What's right. num- what is number one now? This is... There you go. Driver's license by Olivia Rodrigo, which we'll be discussing in 38 years' time when Brighton win it. Maybe not us, but people will be discussing it. Yeah, anyway. Brighton winning Wednesday 1-0 over Liverpool. A major shock or actually entirely predictable given the two sides' more recent form. 
Well, I saw Liverpool against West Ham uh, last weekend. And so this result actually really surprised me because they looked like they'd been back to their best. They'd, they'd not had that much of a break after that Spurs win. And then to go to West Ham and do that against uh, a side that have been excellent defensively this season w- was really impressive. And Mo Salah looked to be back at his best. E- everything about Liverpool just looked slick. Um, so for this result, they just didn't look like they turned up at all. And Jurgen Klopp himself said that the better team uh, won. They didn't deserve to win it. Um, and, and they just looked a little bit lacklustre again. He, he's talked about them having mental fatigue, but I think all of the players have got mental fatigue the way this season is. So I don't think that's... And he's not necessarily using that as an excuse, if you like. Uh, same time. You know, they're all mentally fatigued. We're all mentally fatigued as, as journalists doing the game. It's it's relentless at the moment, isn't it? Um, but, but, but Faye, but Brighton, but Brighton, the one that winners here, was this not the, their best ever performance in the top flight? I mean, yeah, one of them, I suppose. I, I can't think of any others off the top of my head that um, that are better. And certainly friends of mine who are, who are Brighton fans thought it was, uh, you know, the best they've played in, in a long time. And the thing is that their performances this season haven't necessarily matched the, the results that they've had. Um, and Graham Potter is doing something. You know, there have been accusations of it being quite, quite boring, but you've got to be quite solid, haven't you? Um, and certainly at the back, they were solid uh, against Liverpool. Duncan mm. Webster uh, were excellent. And that's now four clean sheets in a row and that's not by accident yeah Duncan you were shaking your head when I said that might be the best ever top flight performance well I think it's their best top flight result I think they've had some really good performances at home this season they outplayed Chelsea they outplayed Manchester United they lost to Manchester United with a goal after the final whistle which strikes me as unlucky Um, and they have been consistently probably on the underlying numbers maybe the sixth or seventh best team in the Premier League and, and so their position down the bottom was was very much as Faye said like a, because they can't score goals very easily and although they didn't have that many shots I mean they had four shots on target against Liverpool compared to Liverpool's one which is abysmal from from Liverpool um, you know Dan Byrne had as many touches in the opposition penalty area as he did in his own which is not what you'd expect a from Dan Byrne or b from a, a way defender at Anfield um, and they they deserved it really and, and Salah missed a pretty good chance in the first couple of minutes. And I think if that had gone in, it possibly would have been a, a different story. But you could see, you know, 20, 25 minutes in, the Liverpool players almost kind of knew what was coming. And they just, it never really seemed to seemed to change. And, you know, and that pretty much, if they don't beat City at the weekend, that's kind of it, really. And, you know, mm. obviously finishing in the top four is then becomes the, the priority. There's a really kind of... I think quite important parable about Brighton, which is that there's been a lot of criticism of, of Potter this season, but largely from the outside, that there doesn't seem to be a huge amount of kind of restlessness amongst the fans. There's been no kind of, you've not heard cries that he has to, you know, change his ways or or change the style of play or or stop doing whatever he's doing because they're not getting results. There seems to have been an understanding amongst Brighton fans that like Duncan says, the, the underlying performances are good. I think I saw one XG table, a Justice League, in which they were fifth. And they've they've scored something like, like 17 goals fewer than they ought to have done, given the chances they've created. Which does suggest that, you know, as, as Duncan says, they've been playing, they've actually been playing really well and they've been either unlucky or, I mean, they, they lack a striker. That's fairly obvious. They lack a sort of a ruthless striker. And I think it's it's not only really kind of, pleasing to see that this week in beating Spurs and Liverpool they've had their reward but it's really nice to think that and I think it's a a significant change within the way that a lot of a lot of fans see the game that fans are happy to sign up to a to a philosophy and a vision and a specific approach in a way that maybe the pundit class which I suppose we, we all have to class ourselves as part of haven't quite caught up to yet that there isn't that immediate demand for if this isn't working you have to scrap everything and start again and do it go back to basics hire Sam Allardyce just pump it along get it in the box get it in the mixer games played in both boxes fans are prepared to kind of wait and see if a plan can develop as long as they can see progress and it's it's brilliant that that's, that this week has kind of vindicated everything Brighton have done this season they should now be clear of relegation really and they should be able to kind of kick on and, and kind of move up the table a little bit Right, the 10 clear of trouble now. Uh, They're at Burnley on Saturday, which... Very last on match of the day, that. Indeed. As for Liverpool, we all know what they've got coming up this weekend, and it is Man City. In many ways, would this be the perfect game for them to have next? Because they've struggled against Fulham and West Brom and Newcastle and Burnley and now Brighton. But Man City, no question of them being fatigued when uh, the team aiming to take their title come to town. 
I think it would be in most circumstances, but not the ones where they might have Jordan Henderson and Fabinho in central defence. That's Liverpool's travails this season are, are relatively easy to explain. And that's that if you think about the, the game against Brighton, they were without their first choice goalkeeper. Pretty much anybody who, who would be in the first four choices to play in central defence, probably without two, two, two or possibly only, well, one, two or three of their first choice midfielders, one of their first choice strikers. That means that everyone who is fit has played far more football than they probably would have liked to, which means that they look physically tired, as as Klopp said. I think they're mentally tired in the sense that, as Duncan alluded to, they have the air of a team that's been that's been playing the same game quite a lot for quite a long time, which is the challenges for Liverpool to break everybody else down. And I think after a while, they're finding it quite oppressive. Really, truly, sort of world class great teams find a way through that. But it, you know, it happened to City last year well, that it just yeah. It's very reminiscent of City last year where they kind of, you watched them and it was like, yeah, we know what you're trying to do and it used to work really well, but it's not working. So why are you still doing it? And to be fair, this season, they've gone away and they are playing differently. And, you know, last season it was City having to play defenders, uh, midfielders and central defence. And, you know, it's quite funny how Liverpool are essentially mirroring City from last season. In normal circumstances, you could make a case that having City and then they've got Leicester and Everton, I think, Liverpool, they've got a really tough sort of next couple of weeks would be ideal for them. But given the state the state of their squad, I don't think there's any, any such thing as a, as a perfect game for Liverpool. Maybe Southampton at home reduced to 10 men after two minutes <laughs> is what Liverpool need at this point. City haven't won at Anfield since May 2003, when probably something really bad was number one. Uh, and Kevin King was in charge of City back in those days. A Pep, for his part, has had five trips and lost four of them and drawn the other. City coming off a narrow, by their standards anyway, 2-0 victory over Burnley, featuring first-half goals from Gabriel Jesus and Raheem Sterling. It is their, is it 13 straight wins in all competition now? 13. Yeah, they equal wow. the English record for 14 in a row in all competitions if they beat Liverpool, which They've is They've conceded held. one goal in their last nine in the league. A lot of this has been without, well, Aguero, as we know, but also Kevin De Bruyne, who was, was supposedly essential to them. Uh, and uh, it's a huge game, as you say, for the title. If Liverpool win, they'll be four behind, having played a game more than City, which is still not ideal. But if they lose, not only do their title hopes look over, but their top four chances will be a real concern. Are we going to see another of those nil-nils that most of the the top-of-the-table clashes this season have turned out to be? Probably. (laughs) That's the way it's going, isn't it, at the minute? It's... uh... Yeah, it's no. I, th- I think that will be different actually, uh, because of what's at, at stake. Um, because Jurgen Klopp will know that a draw isn't good enough because of um, City's game in hand, their superior goal difference, um, and, and the form that they're in. Um, so I think he'll go for it. Any last thoughts before we move on from? To me, and this might sound really negative, the idea that it's a title decider is a bit ambitious. I think Liverpool are probably done for the title. Um, it's relevant to, to, to Manchester United and to an extent Leicester. If if they will be wanting Liverpool to beat City just to just to reel them in, that I think what sums Liverpool's sort of situation up best is that City's game in hand is away at Everton, the game that was cancelled on Boxing Day or the day after, because of the um, the COVID outbreak. Uh, at that point, I think Liverpool would have wanted Everton to beat Manchester City to to keep the gap closed. It's probably more important now that to Liverpool that City beat Everton to keep Everton out of the top four. Woo! Big shout. I'm not sure. Rui, I mean, I hear what you're saying, and the way I'm very negative, the... James. I'm just no, very. No, I just think the season, the season's over. Relegation's done. The title, the title's done. Rory just Dr- draw lots for the top four. This, this Rory season, just doesn't though, want to go back bit... to Liverpool, does he? In the night they've won the title. <laughs> oh yeah, it's a long journey, and the phone signal was dreadful. For me, yeah. this season's a little bit like a stage, and different backdrops are being wheeled in and out, different flats, and they all look really solid, and they all look really convincing and and dependable. But they're actually, you know. A week later, they've wheeled in an entirely different scenario for you. Yeah, and it is, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bad season to be making predictions. And you, you make, you, I am making myself a hostage to fortune. Duncan's touched on the, the, the key thing, and it's injuries. That's what will define everything. So if, if City, although they have had injuries this season, they also have a, a deep squad with lots of quality and world-class manager. If they can avoid anything like a kind of major injury crisis then they, they should be set fair. But equally, you look at Manchester United, if they were to lose two or three players all of a sudden in the way that Southampton have, then that would fundamentally change the outlook of their season. So that is the thing that I think will... That's kind of the X factor that is thrown into everything that you can't predict, is, is how teams kind of fare on injuries. Well, we'll see what happens then Sunday at 4.30 at Anfield. Um, just before we wrap this part up, City beating Burnley midweek. What's the weirdest thing, actually, of 
of this uh, last few days, Sean Dyche's looky likey uh, mm. discourse at the press conference. Has anybody ever told you you look just like Mick Hucknall? It's uncanny you say that. Apparently, I look very much like Chris Evans too. I, mean, I, I can't see it personally speaking. I can't see it, but apparently, I do. So it's a fair, fair point. That yeah, you it make. was kind of Thank you know amiable content, wasn't it? That was pushed I out. I mean, Sean Dykes was from Kettering, and as someone who was also from Northamptonshire, that possibly is the, what people talk about in pubs. So yeah, it was fine. I mean, I just, I just found it quite disturbingly off-brand. I want Sean Dykes to be kind of conversationally on the level of of Bane or something like that, not busting out. Kind no, of he's quite. He's quite like that. He's quite sort of, you know, bloke will chat to you in the queue at B&Q about stuff. Um, but, I mean, I, what I took from the game against City was that, you know, Sean Dyche's one of his normal concerns and worries is that the game is becoming a non-contact sport, but Burnley are becoming a non-shooting football team. That's two games without a shot on target now. So, um, I mean, they're playing Brighton and that could, could happen again. I found the thing that he's watching Bridgerton a bit more kind of unusual. Okay, I didn't get that far in the press conference. No, it was, it, it was, I don't, I, I don't, well, it, it struck me that like, maybe cabin fever set in a little bit with Sean Dyche and he's just, it Does was as though. Doesn't he was, share a, a flat with his assistant manager? Uh, his, his Grand Canyon visiting pal Ian Wone. There you um, go. It was as though Sean Dyche hadn't spoken to anybody for several weeks and was just delighted to have human contact. Right. I wonder what Mikel Arteta said in his chat a little bit earlier on with Faye Carruthers. We'll hear that very, very shortly uh, when we'll be discussing Arsenal and Sheffield United and Palace and West Ham. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. We're all driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to The Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. Lingard again. Good effort, and he scored again. Martinez probably should have kept it out. Lingard doesn't matter, and that might be game set and match. What a night for Jesse Lingard. He scored twice on his West Ham debut. Wednesday, the most unexpected West Ham, Ham J-Ling story since former West Ham and Czech Republic defender Thomas Repka got 15 months in prison for fraud after selling someone a luxury car that he had actually only rented. Uh, Jesse Lingard, anyway, <laughs> inhabitor of memes, vendor of fine leisure wear, freshly arrived on loan from Man United on Monday, debuting for his new side Wednesday and scoring a brace. Did this put a massive smile on your face? Yes is the answer to that. I like Jesse Lingard um, and I, I, I liked that David Moyes had faith in him. He clearly you know, likes, the, likes his character, knows what he can do, had him at Manchester United uh, and has seen that you know, he just can't break into the, to the United side at the moment. And actually for, for him to then go ahead, and I, I thought there's a development there of a really nice partnership between him and Antonio, if Antonio stays fit. Like for, for uh, the opening chance, I think that Antonio had, he chose to go for it himself with even though Jesse Lingard uh, was free I think on the left and and he chose to go it alone realized that didn't work and then brought him in for for, for the other two goals and and I really think that's a potential nice partnership and actually the dink over uh, for that cross when um 
when Lingard was completely unmarked on the left-hand side, then chested it down and on his weaker foot as well. I, I just think I, I'm really pleased for him to, to kind of do that. I just hope that he doesn't think, right, I've peaked now. Right. <laughs> I hope he what? now just, you know, tries, tries to cement his uh, place in the side. Are there any historical precedence, pre, uh, precedents for him starting really, really well and then not scoring any goals or assisting for ages and ages? <laughs> Duncan, you, you, have you got any numbers, or do we just need to? Yeah, he scored. He scored goals on all his debuts. He scored four. Was it on loan at Birmingham? Um, so he has got a reputation. So I mean, I'm just. I feel pleased for him because I'm inadvertently. Well, I say inadvertently quite vertently uh, I began the Lingard hasn't had a goal or assist in this month in this month in this month thing which you know I meant kindly but then some people use badly so uh, in what way did you mean it kindly I meant it as a, as a light-hearted, oh, look, this stuff's happened. And some people just ran with it really badly, which is... Duncan, humanity. you know nothing is light-hearted nowadays. Mm. People no. pounce uh, on genuine anything. Genuine question, actually. Given the current climate of, I mean, let's be frank, abuse for uh, players, uh, would, you, would you think twice about starting a similar meme now? Probably. I stopped doing tweets about Kepa because I, it just got a bit, you know, mm. it just felt a bit bad, so... yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, anyway. So, Lingard's back and everything's fine. Yes. I also have a thought on Jesse Lingard, which is there's this weird phenomenon where if a player doesn't do brilliantly at a top six club, fans of, some fans of all of the other clubs automatically assume that he is not good enough for them either. And I think what Jesse Lingard kind of proves is that if you're if if, if there is a player who, who has been deemed a failure by City or United or Liverpool or Chelsea or whoever they're probably still really good at football. And and we should probably remember that a bit more, that Jesse Lingard is clearly an excellent footballer. He might not quite be like Man United starting 11 standard, but that still makes him better than most of the players in the Premier League. So it's not really a surprise that he should go to West Ham and kind of make, it, make an immediate impact. West Ham are a good team, but he's also not without his qualities. Were you, were you also impressed with his general levels of fitness and morale, given that he hadn't had a single minute in the Premier League all season, and I think only three cup appearances for Man United, and had become, thanks to Duncan, the subject of derision? Well, that shows his professionalism, doesn't it? To, to, to stay fit, to, to be waiting for potentially a move or trying to get back into the, into the squad himself, I, I think is excellent. In terms of morale, well, his tail's up, isn't it? You know, his old manager's come, come for him, brought him, uh, you know, with, with a loan, on a loan move. And so he just wants to show people what he can do. And he did it in front of Gareth Southgate as well, the England manager who was there. Mm, Mainly wants to show Duncan what he can do, I, I imagine. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, uh, another triumph of West Ham's transfer policy after Soufal and uh, Socek and all the rest. Uh, they are now with seven wins in eight in all competitions. Villa, meanwhile, now have five defeats in seven, four in six in the league. They've dropped to ninth. They do have games in hand. Coming up this weekend, a very interesting match for them as they host Arsenal. Uh, this is an Arsenal team who were beaten 3-0 by Villa at the Emirates back in November, which set in motion a disastrous slump for the Gunners, which saw them drop down to the bottom end of the table and questions get asked about relegation and the like. Since then, they'd put together a fine run, had the Gunners uh, unbeaten in seven, winning five of those games. But on Tuesday, that came to an end at Molyneux at the hands of Wolves. Crikey. So ahead of Villa-Arsenal, what are your thoughts on... Tuesday night at Molyneux. Uh, first off, Jean Moutinho's winner. Woo! That was his first ever goal uh, at home for his club. Extraordinary goal. Yeah, cracking goal. Um, you know, they'd, they'd only scored 10 goals without Raul Jimenez before this game, so they needed to find their shooting boots for sure, Wolves. Um, but yeah, gorgeous, gorgeous goal. It, it really was. And actually, Wolves did really well to, to stay in this in the first half before the calamitous events of the second half for Arsenal, um, because Arsenal were absolutely superb in that first uh, 45, 46 uh, minutes. Um, and, you know, it, it was... It, it was brilliant to watch them, but I, I actually watched the reverse of this game at the Emirates uh, back in November, um, which was where Raul Jimenez uh, picked up that that fractured skull. Awful event for everybody, but but Wolves were fantastic in in that game, and and Arsenal just just not at the races at all. It was the other way round in this match. Actually, perhaps 
expect when you look at both sides' form. Um, but Wolves were really, really good for this win and, and, and deserved it um, on the second half performance, but obviously had a little bit of a helping hand with, uh, with a couple of incidents I'm sure we'll discuss shortly. Well, yeah, because I think a lot of people felt the Wolves got very, very lucky, completely battered by Arsenal to begin with. Then there was, was that bizarre red car which saw uh, David Luiz uh, walk for contact on William Jose to repurpose Duncan's tweet from the weekend. William, it was really nothing. Uh, but uh, the the regulation said that because he touched, because he touched Jose's the back of Jose's leg with his knee without trying to make a tackle, he had to go. Yeah, if you make a tackle, then that's deemed you're trying to play the ball, so he wouldn't have got sent off. So it's a kind of, again, we're seeing this season a series of incidents that kind of show the kind of slight absurdity of some of the laws of the game. But it's the it's the laws of the game, it's, you know. I think people are kind of examining it way more now than than ever before. So, I mean, the thing with David Luiz, that's now six penalties he's given away in 46 games for, for Arsenal, which is the the second worst ratio of any player in Premier League history, which, uh, at a single club. Um, quiz question for the top one, which no one will get, is uh, Ibrahim Asonka at Reading, who gave away seven in 39 games. So, solid. There's, it's nine red cards for Arsenal under Arteta as well, isn't it? Which is, mm. which is a lot. But both, the, are, both of those red, I mean, the, the, the Louise red card, they're appealing. They should find that out um, later, uh, later this afternoon as we're recording. But um, Appealing on I, what basis, Faye? Uh, on the basis that there was no contact it, it okay. is what Arteta's saying. He says he's watched um, around 10 different um, angles of it um, and that's why they they decided to appeal. He understands the law. Mm. He says that he thinks that they should look at it though because, you know, when you when you also look at the Bednarek one um, in the Southampton Man United game uh, as well, um, you know, it's something maybe they do need to, to look at because exactly the point that Duncan made, if it had just taken him out, it'd have just got a yellow card for it and given the penalty rather than the double jeopardy. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the second red card, uh, I doubt they're appealing, uh, Bernd Leno coming out as I think, as somebody said on t- Twitter, trying to express Arsenal's season through the medium of dance. Bit, <laughs> Brilliant. Bit unfair, but it does leave them with a really interesting situation ahead of this weekend's clash because uh, Bernd Leno will be suspended. New signing Matt Ryan uh, was missing for this game with Wolves with a muscle injury, so it might be Runar Alex Runusson, the man whose previous appearance was so bad he had to delete all his social media before Duncan Alexander started doing memes. And, of course, the man who previously would have been in between the posts for them is going to be keeping nets for Villa, Emmy Martinez, who's been absolutely brilliant all season since making the move. Wow. I have to say, I spoke to Mikel Arteta um, earlier on this morning and he didn't seem to have, although his words suggested that he had support for uh, Runar Alex Runison, his body language and the kind of slight tail off of his voice while he was talking suggested he maybe didn't. Um, what kind and of body language, int- Faye? Sorry. Well, he just kept looking down and then he would start to mumble his words and tail off at the end. So you couldn't well, really... Did, did you see in the game, even towards the end, I've never seen in a Premier League game teammates of a goalkeeper shouting at the goalkeeper like when your mate joins in on a, on a match so much. I felt really bad for Innocent. And then in the last kick of the game, Arsenal had a free kick about 10 metres inside the Wolves' half. Um, they put everyone in the box pretty much and Rinison went up to take it. Um, but I think he was quite cautious to do so because he was like, do you really want me to go sort of 65 yards from my goal? And Arteta was just like, get up, get up. And um, he looked, he actually put in quite a good, good, but then final whistle went as soon as it was cleared. But um, yeah, I mean, if he has to play for 90 minutes away at Villa um, with, you know, Martinez at the other end, it's going to be, yeah, that's going to be tough. It's, it's, it's interesting, actually, because Matt Ryan is an Arsenal fan. And so for him to get his opportunity, he'd have never thought that he'd be able to displace Bernd Leno. He gets the perfect opportunity to do it and he hasn't been able uh, to train with them. So you've got to be a bit gutted for him. He, he says he still might be able to play. Um, but um, at the minute, he just kept saying Alex, Alex is fit uh, without, you know, saying too much, too much else. Uh, but he did talk about the social media abuse at Actually, of players, which I thought was really interesting this morning. When you talk about uh, what Runnison had to had to deal with and what Xhaka has had to deal with, um, and, and when we were talking about it earlier with uh, Alex Jankovic as well, you know, he 
basically said it has to be eradicated completely and interesting about the, the memes, Duncan, because he says, actually, the media have got a lot of responsibility. And, and, and you know, we, we have because it's it's easy, isn't it, to, to make fun of, of these small incidents. But nowadays, you know, if you're putting that out, yes, you're highlighting something that everybody else has seen. But when nobody at the moment on social media appears to be able to be kind um, or, or even just normal um, when they have to hurl abuse at left, right and centre... It, it, it's really difficult and I think it, it, it is important that everybody has a, a, a bit more of a responsibility about it. No, I think you're absolutely right, Faye. There, I think we should also make the distinction between kind of good-natured ribbing, if I may use that expression, and some of the more vile and xenophobic or racist indeed abuse and, and kind of systematic yeah. abuse of not only players but also their families and, and partners and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And I think obviously we've seen it yet again over what, the last two weeks where... Any time a black player doesn't have a particularly good game, they are the recipient of... Or even the, the team doesn't, but it's the black yeah, players that get the abuse. they get singled out. And it is, I mean, it is, it's astonishing and it's incredibly depressing that it, it's, 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 just inc- it's just so reliable that it's, that it kind of, it, it just makes your heart sink, really. And I don't quite know, like you see calls for, you know, for non-anonymized accounts or for, for people to be banned, but you're talking about kind of, this huge disparate problem so quite how it gets solved I don't know but that this is a really kind of strange thing to talk about but I think the culture of abuse generally in football not necessarily not specifically racist abuse that's probably that's probably its most damaging manifestation but there is a culture of abuse within football where it's tolerated and I don't really I've never really got why that might be and the other thing that's that's, that's related that's really struck me this the, the last week or two I don't know why it's just kind of the level of discourse there's this thing now where if you look at the, 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 any tweet from any official club account, the first re- reply will always be someone who supports a rival with a name kind of, you know, Liverpool SZN, whatever that means, or Man United champions or whatever. Replying to that club that, they, that is their rival, saying, that's it, I'm leaving, I, I don't want to support you anymore. And it's obviously some sort of meme that I don't understand as I'm nearly 40 and therefore I'm not plugged into these things. And then... It's just this screed of sort of criticism of that club from people who don't support them. And there's this real kind of vitriol that sometimes floods into kind of racism and sexism, which is its most, yeah, most damaging form. But it's just, it's everywhere. But we've seen also, we've mentioned this before, that how if you look at a club account five, ten years ago, they're quite, you know, straight down the line, our fixtures, this game, blah, 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 good luck to the team. And now they all kind of mimic kind of fan social media from five years ago. It's all sort of banter between clubs and little memes. And and I think, you know, lockdown and, and the pandemic spurred this up even more. No one can go to games anymore. So it's become this kind of like just huge amorphous kind of abuse bubble that just surrounds football. So Wow, vast amorphous Abuse bubble. <laughs> that that's just Michael not. Cox's timeline. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway, um, right. So, well, amidst all of that, Villa, who have been on a rotten run of form, taking on an Arsenal side who, for all that defeat, have been impressive. And, and Mikel Arteta, presumably in a positive mood. Did he say anything else interesting? What's he been watching? Faye Bridgerton? Any yeah. like he? No. I mean, to be honest, um, I. Uh, Mikel Arteta's press conferences don't tend to swerve into that kind of territory, unfortunately. They're, they're, they're very straightforward um, events and he doesn't elaborate on anything. And if he doesn't want to answer anything, he just says, I won't be doing that. And then you, car- <laughs> and then you carry on. So he didn't actually say that much. But like Even when I asked him about Aston Villa, I can tell you exactly what his, his response was. Um, he said, I'm not here to judge their performance. Like, play the game, Mikel. We kind of we just want you to talk about Aston Villa. But that's really weird because he's a really interesting man, Mikel. Yes, as a, fascinating. As a, as a player, he was always a brilliant talker, and he he used to live quite near me, Mikel Arteta, in a much nicer house. And you'd see him about you'd, you'd see him about a lot, and he'd kind of stop and chat to people. He's quite friendly. He kind of lives a relatively normal life. It's it's weird that he's gone into management and thought, I'd better just be as boring as possible. That's not. No, I I just think he knows that you know. That, that, Again, going back to, to social media in lots of ways, clips get taken out of context. And so I think he's just sitting there saying, do you know what, I'm just going to play this as deadpan as possible and then we'll see what happens with the game. Quick word for Wolves, who finally got a win after, I think, 11 games, 10 games. Uh, they'll be hosting a Leicester team whose form has fluctuated a little bit of late, but who did look good on Wednesday night as they won 2-0 away at Fulham. 
uh, Iniacho and the extraordinary James Justin with the two goals there. That's a big game in the Midlands, eh? Yeah, one of the few games in Premier League history where a team has come from 3-0 down to win 4-3, um, which happened a couple of times in that game. So maybe it'll happen again. Crikey. That's how it works. Sunday at 2 o'clock is when Wolves will be hosting Leicester. We'll have the rest of the midweek and weekend news and more next. Faye, can you explain the Emma Hayes AFC Wimbledon beef? Yeah, I don't think there's actually any beef um, at all. And actually, Emma Hayes has come out and said that herself. But this all comes from a story earlier on uh, this week that the Express said they had an exclusive saying that AFC Wimbledon had considered uh, putting Emma Hayes on their shortlist for their vacant manager's uh, position. Um, it got a lot of people talking in terms of, you know, particularly, God, I, I'm sorry to keep bringing up social media, but I feel like I've had a barrage of it this week. So it's it's been quite, quite relevant. Um Lots of people then saying, how can you compare Chelsea women with a League One side? And then it was blown up into this. There is a big, you know, beef with um, uh, the AFC Wimbledon is seen as a step down because that's what a number of writers kind of suggested. And I think, you know, from, from my point of view, it's it's not offensive uh, to... to AFC Wimbledon, she she's worried Emma Hayes. She's come out with a statement um, saying that it's been taken as if she offended AFC Wimbledon when she was asked whether or not it would be a um, uh, whether or not she'd earn whether they could afford her. I think was that was the term they used, and, and she kind of laughed and said no. But it's within the context of that. She wasn't disparaging of AFC Wimbledon when she was saying that. But she says, "Let me be clear about this. It's not a step down to coach Chelsea's women team, and it's an insult to suggest otherwise." She didn't actually mention AFC Wimbledon at all. Um, they've basically, she believes, people have manipulated her words and turned into headlines uh, and used inflammatory. Um, language to infer that she's insulted them and, and this is the world that we live in again and actually if you look at her comments that's not what she said at all that, that the frustration was that people automatically assume that a female coach cannot coach in the men's game and that they're not comparable and that is ridiculous and actually um, in terms of AFC Wimbledon they're showing ambition by wanting to get the top coaches whether they're male or female so if they had put her on the shortlist it's because they want the best coach to take them forward well more on that in the uh, offside rule WSL edition AFC Wimbledon of course looking for a new manager after they fired Glyn Hodges after they lost to Nemesis MK Dons earlier on, which you'd know if you listen to the Totally Football League show. So, other results from this weekend, which we haven't touched on so much. Palace, 2-1 winners at Newcastle. Leicester, we touched on a little bit there, 3-1 win at Fulham. Sheffield United with a 2-1 victory on Tuesday over West Brom, which means that while they're still last, they are now just a point behind the baggies, down in the bottom three, and only three points off Fulham, who do have a game in hand. That whole... Bottom three themselves, though, are eight adrift of Burnley and Newcastle and ten of Brighton. Burnley, like Fulham, do have a game in hand. Duncan, Mm. a Sheffield United prospects update, please. Well, if you remember a few weeks ago when I tipped them to stay up and I was roundly abused in many places um, or mocked, probably more accurately. Um, Now there's a lot of people joining this bandwagon after, uh, you know, three wins. Um, And, I mean, we've got a predictions model where we simulate the Premier League thousands and thousands of times. Do you? Um, well, not me personally, but some clever no, people. Opto. Yeah. And, um, at Who the start wins of the, the season, title, Duncan? Uh, Manchester City, as it stands. Top which four? Is not, uh, I think, off the top of my head, I think it was United, Leicester and Liverpool. Um, so, okay. As, right. as it is at the moment. But yeah, Sheffield United had barely a chance to stay up. Did Jesse Lingard not, get in the England team? I'm not allowed to say whether that or not for other reasons, yes. Oh, All right, OK. But, what uh, happens with the hard border between Ireland and Northern Ireland? Again, I know, but I can't reveal. Um, it's actually, yeah, let's move on to Sheffield United, who've now got a 10% chance of staying up. That's got, the big story. <laughs> I've got a broader question, actually, Duncan, because for years mm. you kind of lived off this idea that you're backed by these infallible machines and bringing pure logic, pure numbers digital mm. certainty to the mm. chaotic world of football and remain pretty much unassailable with any of these numbers that you bust out. But I think isn't one of the things that VAR has taught us is just how fallible 
machines are. Like your stats, for example, that you come no, up with. No, Optus... no, 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 no. VAR, VAR hasn't done that at all. VAR's shown how accurate machines are. It's shown how humans and the rules they make about football But are... isn't Opta just humans trying to make machines come up with conclusions in the same way that VAR is? No, because you, you record data and then what you do with that data, you know, one person That's might come up VAR with a mad... That's what VAR is as well. Well, VAR's a... VAR's not data, it's kind of looking at stuff and going, well, this is, you know, the laws of the game say this is bad or this is wrong, and everyone's like, what? All we wanted you... was common sense, not consistency all along. We've changed How do you do stuff like, I don't know, when Chelsea get their, their, their touches and passes record, how, mm. how is that? Is that people doing it? or It is people as it stands because it's still more accurate than machines, but it's in conjunction with machines. It's, a, right, it's a lovely future of man and machine hugging as opposed to fighting. Although, although the the prediction model has indicated that there will be a human robot war in the near future, right? <laughs> when Opta becomes self aware, okay, good. Yeah. Um, so, listen, we were talking. Sorry about Sheffield United and their ten percent chances of staying up. Yeah, that's it. Essentially, they've gone. They've okay. gone from you know, it's not going to happen to air. Yeah, it might happen. Presumably, they they would now. Your logic is is that they were losing games narrowly that they might in with not much difference, have won, and therefore that that would regress to the mean. The, th the key thing you have to know about all data is that everything regresses to the mean. But presumably the, the form they'd need now, given that the gap is so big to Burnley-Newcastle, is relatively unlikely. It's relatively unlikely, except, like with Brighton, Sheffield United were, you know, probably only the kind of eighth or ninth worst team. So they... It would require a Burnley or a Newcastle um, to really go on a really bad run, but is that out of the question? Um, not really. So. Well, this one, this game midweek looked like it was going to go very badly for their chances. They were trailing at home to West Brom. Uh, eventually, though, Billy Sharp, who Chris Wilder apparently was about to take off before he scored the winner, uh, sealed the three points. That's now three wins in five Premier League games for the Blades. As for the Baggies... Dressing as Norwich may not be the best tactic in terms of staying up in the Premier League. Uh, they are now only one point, as I mentioned, ahead of Fulham. They've only had one win in 10 games since they fired Slaven Bilic and brought in Sam Allardyce. It's looking pretty bleak. Well, they, it goes back to Rory's point earlier. Their next game is, is Tottenham. And, um, you know, Mourinho's the kind of upper half of the table let's just go back to basics and see if we can win. And, and Allardyce is the lower half of the table version. And um, I'm sure they'll, you know, they have a lot of respect for each other and I'm sure they've shared red wine, but I'm not sure whether their approach is going to, you know, be successful at either end of the table. Meanwhile, for the Blades, their weekend fixture is a home clash with Chelsea. Ooh, they couldn't, could they? Well, they probably could. It's probably possible. Uh, Chelsea... Promising under under Tuchel, they they seem to kind of have a a little bit about them now. They've not obviously not conceded a goal under, under his. They've obviously not conceded a goal since he since he got the job. Little signs that maybe of of what his Chelsea might be. But I suppose in a way, it's probably not a bad time for Sheffield United to to host Chelsea. They won't be expecting to to win it. Um, but Chelsea might still be kind of learning Tuchel's methods. They you know there might be another another sort of shift in, in the team that he names as he tries to see more players and get, get a clearer idea of what he wants the team to be. So there's a little bit of a kind of a randomisation factor there that might help Sheffield United. A couple of extra days rest as well. Right. And they took four points off Chelsea last season, including a 3-0 win in this fixture. Uh, that was in July after everyone had come back from, you know, the pause. Wow, that's a game to look out for. That's actually late on Sunday, uh, 7.15, and we'll be recording our Monday morning roundup straight after that. Other games you'd expect to be featuring in that Monday roundup include Newcastle hosting Saints and, oh my, Fulham West Ham. We talked a lot about West Ham. We mentioned Leicester beating Fulham 2-0, leaving uh, the Cottages in all sorts of problems. This game absolutely huge for their manager, Scott Parker, as he faces the club where famously he became Football Writers Player of the Year 10 years ago in the very same season that West Ham went down, which was one of the remarkable things about that decision. Uh, the reverse fixture of this finished 1-0 to West Ham. Do you remember Adam Ola-Lukman had the chance to equalise with a Penenka at the death? But he's, he's, he said after that, Lukman, that he, he wouldn't kind of rest until Fulham was safe. And although that... That still looks relatively distant. He's actually had a really good season, Lookman. He's played 
played quite well. And Fulham, are, although they're struggling in terms of getting enough points to close the gap on on Newcastle and Burnley and Brighton, their performances are pretty good. They're a, they're a decent side, Fulham. Of all the bottom three, they're the ones that you, you look at and think that's the, they're the ones that might yet get out of it. Not if you're Duncan. He thinks Sheffield United are going to be the ones. And they're only three points behind Fulham. So, looks like the Premier League could be shifting the scenery yet again this weekend. As I say, I mean, there'll be a big... Oh, sorry, Duncan. Just going to say, I really hope that there is a penalty in this game and that Lukman takes it and tries a Penenka because... No, he won't do that. But that is the ultimate double bluff. He should. Oh, he should. Yeah, yeah, and also I, I because see what you... Penenka has the ability to enrage certain elements of fans and media more than any other bit of football, really, because it's disrespectful. Trying to score a penalty by using gravity instead of power is... Um, is disrespectful. Do you think pe- more people get annoyed by penentas than diving? Or is it the same people getting annoyed by the... Same people, same with spitting is the worst thing you can do, which ironically now is the worst thing you can do on a football pitch, but it never used to be. So, so Jason Walker of Luton Town fame um, in our um, uh, playoff final against AFC Wimbledon did a Penenka to try and win us the penalty shootout and it clearly did not go well. So I'm not a fan of the Penenka, but I did interview Adamola Lookman after uh, that happened to him and, and he said he was he was mortified, absolutely mortified. And so, yeah, I can't see him doing that again, much as it might amuse the pair of you. <laughs> Alrighty, well, uh, that's all part of what's coming up this weekend then. Very shortly, we're going to quick uh, get a few words from Julien Laurence on the uh, midweek madness in Marseille and uh, the future for Andre Villas-Boas, who's walked. Uh, before that, though, let's get some odds from Lee Price from Paddy Power. Hello, listeners. I hope you're all clapping out of your front doors on Wednesday evening. After all, Jaylings is back, baby. Give that man a hand. But nobody's getting carried away. Well, apart from me, all of Twitter, and David Moyes tipping for England. Yes, really. As I work for a betting company, I'm contractually obliged to shoehorn odds into every third sentence. So here's an opportunity. Lingard is 9-1 to one to be part of England's Euro 2021 squad, just ahead of Fabian Delph in the betting for reference. Now, Thomas Tuchel has already been treated weirdly with bizarre topics such as veganism, alcohol preferences, and Tammy Abraham coming up in his press conferences. Very odd. I can't work out how this show sits at the Chelsea Tottenham game, but I can tell you the Blues are 4-9 to to beat Sheffield United on Sunday. Seamless odds yet again. I know the whole Man United penalty gag has been done to death, including the Paddy Power TV advert, yes, but I just want to flag that it's 3-1 to they score from the spot against Everton on Saturday, or 6-4 to that a penalty is awarded in the match. Why don't you just tell us the normal match odds, you cry, or one of you might, anyway. Well, because they're not very sexy, is the truth. One good win, and United are back to being heavily odds-on favourites. They are 1-2 to two to see off Everton, for instance. That's far more than enough today. Ciao for now. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply, and when the fun stops, stop. Tuesday saw drama in Provence as André Villas-Boas offered his resignation as Marseille manager uh, because the club had told him they'd signed... Olivier Uncham from Celtic. Villas Burst, you recall, had shrugged off getting attacked by rioting fans this weekend without too many problems. But by him, Uncham, that is the final straw. In goes his notice, the club instead deciding to suspend him pending disciplinary action. Now, Marseille now have Uncham and fellow new arrival Arcadius Milik. They also have rioting fans, just one win in eight. No manager and arriving this weekend, Paris Saint-Germain. Sounds like quite a situation. Julian Laurence joins us now on the line. Jules, first of all, mid-December, Marseille were looking like title contenders. What went wrong? I think their the poor run in the Champions League, Jimbo, really messed up their season because you're right, they started so well. I think they, they lost one in their first 12 in the league. And then that Champions League group, although it was... It was not too bad of a group, really. Olympiacos and Porto and City. City were always the favourite. But those four defeats in a row and the way they played just, just killed them, really. And then they, they did beat Olympiacos uh, before losing to City on the, last, on the last group game. But I think that really stopped their momentum. They lost confidence. The tensions within the dressing room and with AVB started to really get prominent. And, and I can understand Villas-Boas' frustration 
because of the signing of Edsham, but I just think he was looking for a way out anyway. He didn't want to be there. He only had eight mo- uh, six months left on his contract. And there was obviously the attack on the training ground, I think really scarred him. The fact that he didn't get on anymore with his president, with the sporting director, Pablo Longoria, with some of the players, especially Dimitri Payet, they had many f- fallout during the season already that he just wanted a way out. And this Encham signing was was perfect. It was like, I can't take this anymore by principle. I cannot stay in a club where they don't listen to me because he didn't want Encham. He said to them, I do not want this player. He's not a replacement for Sanson. So it makes a lot of sense for him. You feel bad for Encham though. Imagine being that. Yeah. Club by you and the manager says, I leave. <laughs> and you know what? He's, he's Parisian as well, born and bred. So already when he signed, the fans were like, we don't want him. Then the manager said, I don't want him. So then he's, he's there. It's just like, okay, thanks, guys. Why, why, why have they bought him, Jules? Because I think, and this is a fair point from the club, Jimbo, is that you don't always build a squad for the manager in place. Yeah, of course, it's better if, he's, if he loves the player, but they knew that AVB would not be the next season. So Encham is not just for now, he's also for next season when another manager will come in and maybe fences him and, and everything is great because he, he has talent, I think. So I can understand why they did it even without the agreement of AVB. Yeah, if you must say, building a... A team for your current manager is not necessarily a good idea when you've been through, what, 28 managers in 20 years. <laughs> exactly. So the future then, do we know what Andre Villas-Burse's plans are next? Hot air ballooning across the Andes or something particularly exotic like that? Yes, yeah, something like driving an old car in some sort of like rally or something, you know. Or maybe he was going to go back to manager. Maybe, as a few people are mentioning in France right now, he did all of this because he knew he had another club to go to next season. So it'd be interesting to see, to see what he does in the summer. Either that or he's going to become a cobbler on the Ponte Vecchio in Firenze. Uh, we shall see. We shall see. But for Marseille, meantime, what, what, what's the, the future for them? And what on earth are they going to do with this game against Paris Saint-Germain, their biggest rivals, coming up this Sunday? Yes, you're right. I think it's very unlikely that they find a replacement between now and, and Sunday. So we'll have again uh, Philippe Anziani, the former player, uh, who was the, the, the head coach for the second for the reserve team in the fourth division, who will step in again like he did on Wednesday night at Lens, where they drew 2-2. They were 2-0 up at halftime. Milik scored his first goal on his first start. And then so they collapsed in the second half. Uh, and with him, he's got Nasser Lager, who's the head of the academy. So I think both of them will still be in charge on Sunday. And then you need a replacement. They've contacted Mauricio Sarri, who said no. Rafa Benitez, who said no. Ernesto Valverde, who said no. Lucien Favre, who for now at least says no. And I don't know where you go from there. Who would want to, to arrive in this mess right now? It's a, it's a really hard one. But they, they might go with Anziani and Lage to finish the season, maybe. And then, and then have a, a fresh start in the summer. It's, it's, a, hard, it's a hard situation for them. Lepards. C'est le... Imagine Lepards le come in. I would yeah. love that. Very good. Well, that's uh, due to be happening on Sunday, although with the strong tensions between the club and the fans, I guess that there's uh, one or two question marks around that, that fixture. But uh, we'll be catching up with you, Jules, at the start of next week with our Totally Football Show European edition to hear how it goes and all of that kind of thing. Many thanks, though, for joining us today. Thank you. Julian Laurent's there with the predicament in Provence. Lovely. And that's it, then, for today's Totally Football Show. Many thanks to Rory Smith, to Duncan Alexander, and to Faye Carruthers. Great to have you with us. And you, listener. And I do hope you'll be joining us as well. Uh, come Monday morning, when we'll have a fresh Totally, full of all of our thoughts on what happens at the weekend. For now, from all of us here, it's have a great one and goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and follow us at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.